lives. Let inspiration move in our midst today, O God. And I thank you, dear Lord. I praise you, Holy King. I worship you, great and mighty one. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, dear Jesus. You are the God of gods. I praise you, Lord. Everybody said praise the Lord. How wonderful is our God. Good to see each and every one of you here this morning. And uh, we're going to have a beautiful time in the Holy Ghost. We're going to worship Him. Have good word. Lots of good things. Keep your heart and mind open to the Lord this morning, okay? We love you and we appreciate you. If you have a Bible, I'm turning to John's account of the Gospel. going to take just a little time and we have a guest preacher with us this morning. We're very, most of you were there uh, Friday night at the rally. What a great, great service we had. And the good word of the Lord. Thank God, thank God, and thank God. And everybody said hallelujah. hallelujah. I'm turning to John chapter 8. John's account of the gospel. As we look at chapter 8, I'd like for you to take a look at verse 30. And he spake these words, as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Everybody said praise the Lord. You can be seated. The Lord bless you. The scriptures tell you plainly. Jesus made it crystal clear. He said to search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And He said for they are they that testify of me. And the, there was a day when Jesus in his earthly ministry. He comes into a synagogue and as he sat there in the congregation, the, uh, they delivered unto him the book for to read. And uh, God help us all to remember this is for us to read. And uh, I think you should definitely put your face in the book a lot more than you bother with Facebook. Get right here. Get with this. This will help you. This won't confuse you. This won't create a gossiping spirit in your life. This will direct you in the path that leads to eternal life. And so, as Jesus took the book and opened it up and began to read, he read from a portion of Scripture that he was actually reading about himself. How nice it is to get to the place to where when you read God's Word and God's speaking to you that you recognize, I'm reading about myself. There's something here that's talking to me. Uh, it's easy to sit in a church house and, and think, that's for him, that's for her. You know, somehow or another, all, everything's missing you. But to get to the place as the four cases that uh, Jesus gave to us in his word, the 
seed, which is the word of God, uh, fell upon the ground, and it didn't, it just laid there on the top. And it does, it does tell you that these people that were typified of this, that they did believe. And, uh, but unfortunately, the buzzards of hell pulled a dive bomb and, and snatched up that seed. And that was the end of those folks believing. It was short-lived. And then the second case, the seed fell upon the, the rocks, the stony ground, and uh, only re-verifies for us that people are stubborn. they got rocks in their head, right? And uh, unfortunately, the took no depth of earth. And the sun, tribulation, temptation, people saying things, placing pressure on you, telling you all kinds of reasons why you shouldn't go here and why you should go there and all of that until the, uh, the heat of that situation causes what would possibly become some type of a good plant doesn't make it. And uh, that's the end of the second case. And then the third heart case uh, becomes where the seed falls upon the thorny ground. And that was typified by the cares of this life. Again, all three cases were believing. They were in the process of believing. They were pronounced as believing. They believed for a season. And, you know, a season, really, when it comes to believing, just isn't long enough. And uh, it's kind of like when they said that uh, they, the disciples were just the stones cast away from where Jesus was praying and, you know, stones cast away, in some cases, might just be a little too far. We want to get a little closer. We want to search the Scripture. We want to draw closer to Him. We want to get our ears opened, our hearts open, and we want to take heed to what you hear, too. The Bible said that. So this seed falls on the stony ground, and those hearts were, unfortunately, choked. The seed within their heart was choked because of the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of sin. You know, sin is very deceitful. There's not any honesty about sin. You're not going to get an honest answer there. Uh, you're not going to get the right kind of characteristic that's attached to that kind of situation at all. And honesty is very important because you go to the fourth case and you find that the seed fell on some good ground. Found a good heart, and um, to the point that it, it said these, it was defined as these are they which in an honest and a good heart, they responded to the word of God and they begin to bring forth fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. That honest heart, that honesty, developing honesty. You know, and uh, before I got the Holy Ghost, I was very dishonest. And, uh, and I had so much dishonesty in my heart that I was always looking over my shoulder or looking in that rearview mirror, always worried about what was coming up on me because I had so much guilty conscience. I had so much dishonesty in my life, done so many things wrong, said so many things wrong, acted so many wrong ways until, uh, you know, you just lived with that guilty conscience. How nice it is to get your heart by God's grace and His pulling you, that you get your heart in a position where honesty is being developed. And where, 
you look at the Word of God, and it, boy, it does say that now, doesn't it? You kind of face it with a little more honesty. You don't just uh, dismiss it or explain it away or let somebody else come along and like Satan and hath God said, you know. The answer should have been, yeah, God said. <laughs> That's what you want to tell the devil. Yeah, God said. He did say it. It is there. And I'm going to knuckle under it. I'm going to die to my dishonesty and to my flesh and my carnality. And he died, that flesh died on the cross for every one of us. And he died for sin. You and I have to repent and die to our sin. You know, they've got these people that'll go around and they'll get tied up to a cross and after they carry the cross through their particular turf and area and territory, town, city, whatever, and they'll put them up on that cross tied to it and they want to reenact the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And uh, it's, it's utter blasphemy. And the fact that you're never, nobody is ever going to be able to do what he did. And uh, furthermore, nobody's going to be able to accomplish what he accomplished. And you've got to face the fact, honestly, that people will do extreme things like that because they won't do the very thing he said to do. If we could somehow bring ourselves into subjection and that we could uh, renounce the hidden things of dishonesty, the scripture said, and that we could get rid of that deceitful stuff, move those kind of things out of the way, and, you know, we could get some, that seed from laying on top and get it down into some good rich soil and get it past the stones and the stubbornness of our lives and our thinking and, and get past the, stony, the, the thorny places and get that good honesty working in our favor. And this will produce honesty in your life. This Word of God will help you to face facts as they are. And the fact of the matter is all have sinned and come short of His glory. And that every last women, woman, boy, girl, man, everywhere needs this gospel. You don't need just generic good news. You need the good news. You need the Word of God. You need the death, the burial, and the resurrection. You need to be born again off water in the Spirit. You need to come with your heart and hands lifted in the name of Jesus Christ and tell Him, Lord God, I'm telling you, I realize uh, there's a truth here and you're telling me that truth is going to set me free. It'll set me free from dishonesty. It will set me free from sin in general and specifically. It will absolutely work a work in my life. And remember, though a man would declare it unto you, you could find yourself in unbelief and disbelief. You've got to break the chains here. And you've got to do it through the power of the Almighty God. That's going to work a work in your heart. It's going to upgrade your heart. Amen. Amen. Let God upgrade your whole system. And let Him get you to the place where, where things are going to uh, work for the good. You know, the Bible, and I had requoted that in prayer this morning, I told God I was very thankful that He put that in His Word, that we know that all things work together for the good. But it said, to them that love God. And you've got to love God. You know, uh, didn't the Bible t teach you that uh, as you search the Scripture, 
it did or will teach you that you can't serve two masters. You can't do that. You know, we're in this tug of war, and believe me, it's the flesh and the spirit, and they're tugging, they're contrary one to the other. And the, your, your spirit, your, your, that spiritual part of you that is eternal, hear me when I tell you that that is going to give an account to God. And you want to get your spirit in alignment with the things of the Lord. And you want to uh, allow His holy presence to feed your spirit and give you strength in the inner man so that you can say yes to God and no to the opposing forces of hell. And that you will make an adjustment and an attitude adjustment in your life. That you will begin to, what did it say? Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. The rightness of God's truth. That you'll hunger for that. You'll thirst for that. And you'll get an attitude adjustment to where you won't think in the old carnal patterns that you've been thinking in. And that you'll begin to break away from that through a good repentance. I told you before, I, that was all brand new to me. And I went to uh, pray and, and uh, repent, and I thought I did. And I went to my pastor, uh, and I said, I'd like to be baptized. And he said, well, he said, first you need to repent. And you know, it was on the tip of my tongue to say, I did repent. But you know, see, that was the old me, you know, just more or less talking back. Just, you know, and I just swallowed it and I just thought, you know, I believe I could go do that again and in my mind. So I, I, did, I just said, yes, sir. And I, I went that night after service and I drove to the college and I scaled the fence and got out in the middle of the field and I began to call on God and, and uh, sounded like a, a, a wolf howling at the moon, I'm sure. And, uh, but I remember that... Uh, feeling like I'd emptied out and repented of the things that I had done wrong in my life. And, and uh, I remember the Lord started talking to me. And, uh, you know, if you'll read this book and you'll get involved with God's way of doing things, He will talk to you. And He will draw you. And you can't come except He draws you. you know, people think they're all that and they can just go wherever they want to do and they got in control. You're not in control. The, an evil spirit is in control of you without the Holy Ghost. And you're, you've yielded yourself to that spirit, and you've become the servant of those spirits. That's why some people climb up on top of a building, and, and they, uh, they're going to jump off that building, and there's a spirit in, in their head that's just telling them, jump, jump, jump. And then pretty soon the crowd that gathers, and look, pretty soon they're going, jump, jump, jump. Why do you think they're doing that? Because that same spirit is inciting the crowd. And, and you know the devil's just a devil of a devil. And friend, he wants, he's never satisfied. He can't get enough people in hell. He can't, he can't get enough to satisfy himself. And so you better tell yourself, he's very much got his, his sights on you. And he don't care what he's got to do. Get you involved in any kind of false religion. Get you involved in any kind of bondage, any which way he can. Let me tell you, there's only one thing that you want to be bound by. And that is you get this truth in your heart. And then you're going to be bound to thank the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to be bound to be thankful. Thankful, 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 thankful. That out of billions of people that he plucked you out of the fire and he opened your understanding and he showed you the truth of the scriptures and that he caused you to get honest about your ways are wrong and his ways are right 
and he gives you an appetite and a hunger and a thirst for the right things of God, for the truth, the truth that will set and make you free. Amen and amen. Give God a big hand. Thank God. Thank God. God is a great God. So let him help you to upgrade the soil of your heart. And let him help you to, to get it cultivated and, and fertilized. And you know, the church is praying and fasting and worshiping and crying, going forth, bearing precious seed, the word of God, and doing that in a weeping manner so that you can be birthed into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to go play with religion, and you want to just, you know, do the little old cha-di-cha-cha thing with somebody and all the words and all the phrases that aren't in the Bible, and, and you want to build it around all the wrong things, then you're certainly free to do that. You can choose whatever lifestyle you want. And if you choose uh, that which is uh, not of God, even though people will say it's of God, and you find yourself in the wrong path, going in the wrong direction, and you're, you're still the same old you. It's like a young man that I witnessed to one time, and he said, oh, yeah, he said, I did that. He said, I, I, they had me go with them. I think they called it a revival, he said. And I went, and when everybody went up to the front at the end, I went. And he said, uh, they told me I was saved. And he said, but you know what? He said, I still drink the same booze, the same brand. He said, I still smoke the same cigarettes. He said, I still do all the same things I did before I went there. He said, so nothing's changed. Well, that wasn't enough of a testimony for you, then there was a whole continent. And the so-called preacher went there and, with his team and set up for his crusade and claimed that 50,000 made a decision for Christ. Once again, like, they're in control. And uh, they're running the show, so to speak. And so he packs up his tent, he leaves, and 30 days later, the government issued a statement and said, well, said, uh, we just want you to know that they're all still the same. You know? So Jesus said, you must be born again. There's got to be a change here, a conversion. And we've got to change from what we are and what we were born as. We've got to have a change in that. Very smart intellectual, gifted, well-informed man came to Jesus by night. And he said, hey, we've, we've had a little caucus here. We've had a little talk. And we've figured it out. You, you're a teacher. Come from the Spirit. No man can do the miracles that you do except God be with him. We've, we've got that figured out, you know. And Jesus looked at him and said, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to thee, you must be born again. I mean, he didn't mince words with him. He didn't chat. He didn't talk about how the, if the beans were coming up or the, how the harvest is looking or if the fish are running or what the weather's going to be. He told him, you need to be born again. Matter of fact, he said, you must be born again. It's non-negotiable. We're not going to sit at a negotiating table. We're not going to the settlement table. We're not going to try to hash this out. You must be born again. It's not going to be any... Uh, you know, well, we think you just need to accept Christ as your personal Savior. Or, or, or we think you just need to, you know, some people call it the stations of the cross. Or, 
Uh, we think you need to look at this red book and then this green book and then this blue book and the purple book. And, and you know, you just need to do this, this, and this, and thus. And somehow or another, none of those things are found in the Word of God. And Jesus is the Word of God. And friend, He said it. You must be born again. And old Nicodemus scratched his head and said, man, I don't remember that in volume 33 of law books, such and such. It wasn't, I don't remember reading that. You know, you're going to read a whole lot of different literature and you're going to hear a whole lot of different things from people, but you're going to find out that what God wants is not in their literature. What God wants is not in their words and their little catchphrases. Not there at all. And uh, they love their little phrases, you know. But uh, we want to build your heart and you on a foundation that the writer said that that's what the church is built on. The foundation of Jesus Christ, of His Word, the Apostles' Doctrine. He gave it to them, and they gave it, and it's been being given, handed down as a common faith and a common salvation ever since. You have a chance to have the original truth. You have a chance to, in your mind, to go into a church service and think that there stands Peter or the Apostle Paul or Apollos and they're preaching the Word of God and you're, you're in that original group. You're hearing just what they heard back then. You're hearing it now. Because the Apostle Paul said, though we are an angel come from heaven, and preach any other gospel unto you than that which we preached. He said, let them be accursed. There is no other gospel. There is no other good news. Jesus Christ made it clear, you're not getting first foot out the door until you've repented, you've been baptized in Jesus' name, and you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Then you can go witness my gospel. Then you can go tell the lost and the dying world. Then you've got the goods. Then you've got the experience that this world needs. And when this gospel has been preached as a witness to all nations, then shall the end come. There's not another gospel. There's not another way. Jesus said, I'm the door. You coming through me or you ain't coming. You try to come another way, he said, you put yourself right in the same classification as a thief and the robber. You make yourself a thief and a robber. And two char characteristics of those two kind of people would be dishonesty. You put yourself with the dishonest, with the cheats. You put yourself with the thieves and all the kind of wrong crowd that you, you don't want to be with. You want to get with the crowd that, that they've had a change. They, they said, I'm glad to go to church. Let me go to the house of the Lord. Let me lift my heart with my hands. Let me acknowledge that you are God and you alone. Let me be born again of water and the Spirit. Let me be born again of water that is baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ. And all my sins get forgiven, washed away, sent away, and remembered no more. Let me have that experience. Let me be born again of the Spirit, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Bible didn't say receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It said receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Let's stay with the book. Let's stay with chapter and verse. Amen. 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 Everybody said hallelujah. Well, give God another big hand. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank God and thank God and thank God. This holy book, you search it. You look through it. You come and listen to it. You'll only hear chapter and verse here. Subject matter. 
you're not going to hear fairy tales and, and uh, commentary. You're not, we're not going to take you into theory land. Uh, we, uh, we don't have that in our GPS. Theory land, we don't go there. That place for us doesn't exist. We don't want anything to do with that. We want to take you to, to scripture land. We want to take you to chapter and verse. We want to take you where the word of God is uh, preached and believed on and where it saves and delivers people. That people that get saved and that them that stole, they steal no more. People that smoke, they're delivered from smoking. They don't, they don't have a desire for that anymore. Isn't that wonderful? That God can take away that desire out of your heart. And many other wrong desires, deceitful desires, things that are deceiving you and trying to get you to go in the wrong, keep you going in the wrong direction, heading for the wrong place. God's Spirit wants to pull you out of that through His church, through His gospel, through His truth. And He empowered His church and gave them this message and sent them into all the world to preach this to every creature. Not to just one group of people, but to everybody, everywhere. And so whether you go to Australia or whether you go to China, or whether you were to visit old Soviet Union, or go into Siberia, uh, any place you want to name, England, France, Europe, Southeast Asia, wherever you would go, wherever you would go, right here in America, you're going to find that there is the church preaching the truth. I'm telling you that. You're going you're gonna to hear that. There are countries that I can hardly say their names, but the truth is being preached there. Language that I cannot speak, that they are being spoken to in their language. Our God has not been asleep because he that keepeth us doth not slumber. He doth not sleep. Okay? He's on the job 24-7, 365 and a quarter. He's out there, friend. And he, he built a church. And he sent that church bouncing out of that upper room after filling them with the Holy Ghost. And they filled their city of Jerusalem with their doctrine. And they didn't stop there because God noticed that they got a little, little happy with just where they were at in their little area. And they were doing a great job. But God said, no, now wait a minute. You know, you can't get greedy about this. You know, you've got to share. And I, I fight greed. I do. My wife makes stuffed shells and Sal comes around, Miguel comes around. and I start telling her, hey, quit giving them away. And boy, she'll fuss at me and I'll fuss right back. And then my shells, I get a little greedy about that. You know, when you only see something once a year, friend, you get a little, get a little guarded about that. And uh, <laughs> well, I'm saying to you, the Lord had to bump the church. And he said, uh, he said I'll tell you what, he said, uh, Philip, he said, and that was not the apostle Philip. That was Philip, one of the seven. He said, you've made enough peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and you have qualified yourself with pouring the, the, the iced tea. We're going down to Samaria. And I'm quite sure that that rang a bell in, in Philip's heart and said, Samaria? They don't have nothing to do with those people. And the Lord said, exactly right. And that's what's going to change today. And so down to Samaria, Philip went with the blessings of the church and the leadership. And friend, when he got down to Samaria, he didn't hem, he didn't haw. He didn't say, well, we need a program or, uh, you know, we need to do this. He preached Christ to them. He preached Acts 2.38 to them. And the Bible was very plain 
when it said that only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had gotten to that place, that young evangelist, and he'd broken the ground. He even got the old Simon the Sorcerer, that old reprobate. He got him baptized. <laughs> that was something he probably shouldn't have ought to done. But he, he let that one slip by on the net, and he was happy and just baptizing anything that, kind of like when I say, you know, anybody got a question, you scratch your nose, and I'm thinking you're asking me a question, you know. So uh, it's the same thing. Somebody made a little movement, and whoop, he grabbed him and baptized him. And he got the whole entire city, including Simon the sorcerer, baptized. And here came the apostles down to visit, having heard that Samaria received the word of God. This will set you free. This will make you free. And friend, that town enjoyed and experienced the freedom and the liberty from the bewitchment that they had been under up to that split second when he came and preached Christ to them. We have the only message that can deliver people from the bewitchments of the enemy in this world. You hear me? People can make decisions and shake hands and sign cards and, and they can hear all kinds of platitudes and all kinds of little fancy phrases and make up all kinds of words and they can hear all these things but you know what they go home the same old way they came in and they're still bound by the same old cigarettes and the same old uh, alcohol and the same old cocaine and whatever else they're just bound by it there's nothing wrong with you but a good dose of the Holy Ghost will cure it you hear me the Holy Ghost will do for you what nothing else can do for you no amount of psychology I don't care how much you're paying, no amount of psychology is going to do it. No, it's not. And I don't care if they can hypnotize you and you stop smoking, friend. They ain't done a thing, and I said ain't on purpose, they ain't done a thing for your soul. You hear me? You've got to get your spiritual life, your soul, and your spirit. You've got to get born again. You've got to have this experience. Jesus said there just absolutely is no other way. And, and, and this guy's scratching his head, and how can I do that? Well, we're here to tell you how. We're trying to break it down for you. Well, they say, break it down. Well, we're trying to break it down. Trying to make it ABC as we can. We're trying to tell you that we'll help you to repent of your sins. We got a tank right there. We will baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. And when you come up out of the water, you will be born again of water. Amen. You will be washed in the blood of the Lamb. All your sins will be forgiven and remembered no more. Isn't that wonderful? Boy, you know God can erase it and God can delete it and God can put it as far apart as east is from the west. Man, my God can do some business. Let me tell you. Everybody said hallelujah. Well, Sister Williams is coming, I hope, and uh, you'll be seated for another minute or two and, and uh, we're going to get our young men up here and young ladies and we're going to move on to the second half of the service. I'm going to Try to follow my wife's signals. You know, every once in a while she blows me a kiss. I mean, keep it short, silly. And uh, so this time she gave me a real signal. She went out. <laughs> I guess that was a message. We're done here. Okay. Uh, but we have Brother uh, Johannes with us today, and, and uh, we're looking forward to turning him loose in the pulpit and preach the good word of God. And uh, we're very glad they're down here from California. He and his wife, give him a big hand. Amen. They, uh, they left the children home. He brought the better half, but he, he left the two better quarters at home. 
And uh, so, but I think maybe they're going to try to come back our way and we'll see what God has in store. Many good things in store. Many good things in store. Living for God is exciting. Doing the work of the Lord is exciting. Getting ready to go to heaven is exciting. You know, there's a lot of people that they're just, they're dying. They're, they're in the last stages and they're going to die and they're going to be gone. And Oh, friend, that's a sad thing. But you know, here you are, have an opportunity. If you have not yet repented, if you have not yet been baptized in Jesus' name, if you have not yet received the Holy Ghost, or you're somewhere along that, lo- that road, uh, you want to hurry up and get this done. The king's business requires haste. You know, in the Old Testament, I said I was going to stop, so I better move. In the Old Testament, uh, God said the destroyer is going to come through the land. And when he comes through the land, he said, you're to have taken a lamb, the first lean of your flock, and without blemish, you don't offer God just any old thing, you know. And uh, he said, when you, when you uh, offer it, he said, you're going to do it, and you're going to prepare the meal to eat the Passover, and you're going to do it in haste. The king's business requires haste. We don't have a lot of time. You may feel like we have a lot of time, but we don't have a lot of time. Let's stand together. And let's lift our hearts with our hands, shall we? Help us, Lord. I praise you, God. I praise you, God. I praise you, God. And I thank you, Holy Father. Oh, God, help us. Help us. Help us to go forth, weeping, bearing precious seeds. Come back with those sheets. Thank you, God. Holy God, we want a great breakthrough. A great harvest out there, God. Send forth the labors. I pray to the Lord of the harvest. God, send forth labors into the harvest. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Let's worship him. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yes. You're the Lord of the harvest. Come on. And we worship you. We worship you. Oh, yeah. You're the Lord of the harvest. Yeah.
King. All right, Ed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Praise the Lord, everyone. At this time, I want the ushers to get ready. Everyone say, God bless the offering. In Jesus' name.
Come on and love him. I praise your holy name. I thank you, Lord. All right. Brother Johannes Escalera from California. Give him a big hand. Amen. Would you clap your hands one more time for Jesus? He's the only one worthy of praise this morning. Are you thankful to be in his house today? Oh, are you thankful for the presence of God that we've already felt in this house this morning? Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Well, I want to be cognizant of the time this morning. I realize that the lunch hour is quickly approaching and probably most prevalent on your minds. And our spirits have already been tempted and teased this morning with a great word. Are you thankful for a great senior pastor and first lady here at Apostolic Church of Jesus Christ? And I want to say briefly what an honor it is, my wife and I, to be able to participate in what God is doing here in Belglade. And when we drove into the city limits proper, there was a sign that proclaimed the name of the city and a brief caption underlining that said something to the effect that her soil is her future, or, or is her fortune, rather. But I come to serve the atmosphere and the spirit realm that is just as real as the tangible, the visible, that we can touch and feel, notice this morning. That sign is absolutely correct, but there is implication that goes far beyond that muck that's beneath these pilings here this morning. But I believe that there is a soil of the spirit and a soil of the heart and mind that the Holy Ghost wants to cultivate yet even this morning while we're here together in his house. Amen. That we just heard four types of soil. And you know, it's a rare thing just to stumble upon good ground. And I know you're standing. But if you're going to get good ground, every one of us is going to have to uproot some thorns from time to time. Some housekeeping, some maintenance, some landscaping we're going to have to plow up the stones that that may stumble across our path from time to time and if we're going to have good ground it's because we rolled our sleeves up and worked to get it amen if i understand your beautiful new sanctuary just a couple yards i guess east of where we stand today you had to dig out the muck and you had to pour a new found that's what the holy ghost wants to do in someone's life today get rid of the old you couldn't build on that but the Holy Ghost said, if you'll make some space and make yourself available, he's not looking for ability this morning. He's looking for availability. Amen. Amen. If you'd quickly turn to your Bibles, the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8. For the sake of time, I'll read two texts. I'll invite you to join me for the first. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful job creating an atmosphere of worship this morning. Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8. So good to see a great group of young people here always have a special place in my heart for young people amen the family of god so good to be with everybody this morning in the book of ephesians the second chapter eighth verse paul writes to the church at ephesus and he said this for by grace are you saved through faith in other words grace isn't gonna be enough to save anybody I'm thankful for the work he did on Calvary, but the fact that he died and bled and rose again three days later in and of itself is not enough to save me. It's not enough to save you. It won't save anybody except we believe, except we have faith. For by grace, the apostle wrote, are you saved through faith? And that, not of yourselves, but it, everyone said grace, is the gift of God. 
And quickly, Paul wrote to the church at Rome later, chapter 11, verse 29, and he said, For the gifts and calling, here we go, we see a pairing between the gift and the call. Paul said, The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. And it's as if God gives to his people upon the infilling and impartation of his spirit. God gives to you and I precious gifts, and then he calls us to use those gifts. Amen. With God's help for the next few minutes before we leave for lunch, I want to preach, if you'll help me and the Holy Ghost will help us today, about amazing grace. Oh, are you thankful for amazing grace today? Are you thankful for amazing grace? And is it still a sweet sound in your ears this morning? Oh, do you remember where God brought you from? Do you remember how far he's brought you and what he's kept you? Is amazing grace still a sweet sound to anybody else but me this morning? I'm thankful that when I was lost, it was amazing grace that reached down to my situation and pulled me from the muck and mire of sin. I'm grateful for amazing grace that out of six billion people in a lost and dying world reached down to my cul-de-sac and saved my... I'm thankful for amazing grace that saw fit to send truth in the light of truth to pierce the darkness of my world today. If you're thankful for amazing grace, would you clap your hands and thank God one more time before you're seated this morning. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. You can be seated. I'm thankful for amazing grace. I once was lost, but by the grace of God, I'm found today. I, I once was blind and was groping, trying to find my way in the darkness of my sin-sick soul, but amazing grace found me and saved me. And I realize that Gabriel is yet to purse a trumpet to his lips, and we haven't heard that sound and that, that cry come up hither yet. And you and I may still have a lot of life between now and that occasion, and it's going to take a measure of amazing grace that saved us when we first found Christ to keep us until that day. Can you say amen? And Paul wrote to the church at Rome, I said this Friday night, I'll say it again, we find a prescription for salvation. We, we discover how to find salvation in the book of Acts. But Paul's writings to the church at Rome remind us what it's going to take to stay saved. Can you say amen? And he wrote to the church there, he said, where sin abounds. How many know that sin's abounding today? How many know that society's not getting better? How many know public schools aren't getting safer? And Paul recognized, he said, where sin abounds, the grace of God doth much more abound. I'm thankful for amazing grace this morning. But I want to preach, I don't come to preach anything new or something you don't already know. I just come to strengthen what remains and I come to reinforce what you've already heard and what you already know. But sometimes we, we take a different perspective. When you read the word of God, there's layers upon layers and and. And today you read something you've read a dozen times and all of a sudden it illuminates in your life and, and feeds your soul for the appetite and for the need in the moment. And today I want to preach about amazing grace, something that if you've been born again, you've experienced amazing grace in your life. But I want to preach from this perspective that amazing grace for God's people was intended to be more than just salvation. In other, way, in other words, you and I have experienced grace and that grace was freely given to you and me today. And I'm thankful for the amazing grace and God's provision and his making a way where there seemed to be no way. But I know that God did not just give me grace to save me. There's a revelation that comes with grace. And sometimes the enormity of a subject, take God for example, how big is God? We really don't know how big he is. We know that 
that the earth is his footstool. That's some big shoes right there. And so sometimes to wrap our finite minds and understanding around the enormity of how great of a God that we serve, we have to think of him in terms of what he's not. And, and so sometimes we, we comprehend better what God is by reminding ourselves what he cannot do. And so we realize his faithfulness when we remember that God is not a man that he should lie. And we realize his faithfulness and his unchangingness and that in him there is no variableness or shadow of turning when we realize that he's the same yesterday and forever and that he changes not. And I think that the measure of grace and the gift of grace which comes from an enormous and great God, sometimes we have to define grace and understand grace and we understand it better by recognizing first what grace is not. How many know that grace is not a license to sin? Because God paid a price that you and I could never pay. And he, he gave his life the ultimate ransom. There's people that will tell you. They'll lie to you. Can I be bold this morning and tell you that, well, he already paid the price. There's nothing you could do to fall from grace. I come to serve notice to say that's a lying spirit. That's, right. that's false doctrine. Paul said, should, should we continue in sin that grace may more abound? He said, God forbid. Because grace was not given to us just to save us. But God has a plan. And I don't believe it's the will of God for God's people to who have tasted of the good things to come and of the eternal things of his riches and glory. I don't believe it's God's will for you and I to just grovel on a plane and a level of existence that is nothing more than mediocrity. But I believe that God wants us to become everything he envisioned for us. I believe that when God filled us with the baptism of his spirit, that he also created and invested in every single one of our lives a specific blueprint and a design, and a purpose for our lives. I come to tell somebody, you weren't born into this world on accident. I don't, I don't care how illegitimate the circumstances may be, what your uncle, what your auntie may have told you, and what your circumstances might be this morning. I come to tell you, there is no accidents in God's family. And furthermore, when you were baptized with the Spirit, you received the Spirit of adoption into His family. And you become heir and part of his family. And you become in the bloodline a recipient of all the riches and promises and glory that he has for his children. And all God's people said amen. amen. So it's, and if it's true in the natural, it's true in the spiritual. And when you were born of the spirit, you weren't born on accident. When somebody handed you a church card and said, meet us on the corner of such and such a street, it, at Apostolic Church of Jesus Christ. It wasn't coincidence that you came into an apostolic church. And when you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it took preparation to, to receive that gift. You had to do what senior pastor talked about this morning. You had to repent. You had to get some things out of your life. You had junk in your trunk you had to get rid of in order for God to say, I'll move in. And can I tell you, that didn't happen by accident. That took a conscious decision to say, I was going this way, but I'm going to make an about face. I'm turning away from my wicked ways. And I recognize God has a plan and a purpose. And you shun darkness. And you turn towards good and righteousness. And God began to order your steps the moment we made up in our minds to live for God. So grace is available. Grace is available. Thank God for the abundance of his amazing grace. And, and I'm thankful that his grace is new every morning and that his mercy is everlasting. But, but sometimes if we're not careful, grace can be a lullaby for our spirit that puts us to sleep. And we abdicate the responsibility that I believe comes with amazing grace. 
We read in our text today that we're saved by grace and that grace is the gift of God. And I'm not a Greek scholar by any means, but I am a student of God's word. And we know that the New Testament English uh, was derived first from the Greek. And so every once in a while, if English doesn't make sense, you've got to keep digging. And, and the Greek word for, for gift, for grace, is charis. Everyone said charis. And my mind quickly jogs towards a couple of friends of ours who were unable to have children. Uh, God finally blessed their union after over a decade of marriage, and God gave them triplets. But for some reason, unbeknownst to us, we'll understand it better by and by. He took two of the three. Two of the three didn't survive, never made it home from the hospital. But the third remaining child, her parents named her Carice because they recognized this child is the product of God's grace. They named their daughter Carice because they recognized she was a gift from God. And so the Greek word for grace is charis. This is important. And the Old Testament prophet Zechariah described the outpouring of the Holy Ghost as the spirit of grace in Zechariah 12 and 10. And it's the same word charis in the New Testament that Luke the doctor used to describe the spirit that was on Jesus as a 12-year-old young person. Can I tell young people today, you don't have to wait until you mature into full-blown adulthood, until you've got bills to pay and a rent that's due to realize the spirit of amazing grace in your life. But the Holy Ghost can be upon you as a 12-year-old young man and a 12-year-old young person. And I'm preaching about amazing grace that can embolden you today to where whether you're in Christian school or you're in public school, there can rise up a spirit of grace. That is the spirit of Jesus that says, if I'm the only one in my community, I'll stand strong for truth. That's the outgrowth. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the amazing grace that continues to work in our lives, even beyond initial salvation. And so even the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus, the Son of God, is, everyone say is, the Spirit of grace, Hebrews 10 and 29. You and I, you can be seated. We receive the gift of grace when we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we read in our, our Bible and understand that the gifts, everyone say gifts. We've got to understand the nexus, the connection here between the gift. I'm preaching about amazing grace this morning. But in order to understand the magnitude of amazing grace, we have to keep connected the gift and the calling of God. The Bible said in our text that the gift and the call of God are without repentance. We know that gift, everyone say grace, is always accompanied by a call. That's why I said when God saved you from sin and when God poured his spirit into your life, that he didn't just give you amazing grace to save you. But when we experienced amazing grace for the first time, that grace was accompanied by a call. I'm preaching about amazing grace this morning. We cannot separate the gift from the call of God. They, they exist in tension. You there's a polarity. You can't have one without losing the other. And, and people who receive the gift of amazing grace, who receive the gift of the Spirit of Jesus, I'm preaching about the Holy Ghost, but never respond to the call that comes with that gift. I find them, Elder Feld, living lives in constant tension, under a constant pressure that's unseen, that's unspoken, that's undiscernible to some but very evident to others because God gives us a gift and then he expects us he calls us and wants us to use that gift for his glory God didn't save any one of us he didn't save me just to preach he saved me to be a soul winner he didn't save you to be a good saint and appeal in the church and to be faithful in ministry and tithe and to sit on a pew but God saved every one of us 
and gave us gifts with that, with that, and a call with those gifts to reach a lost and dying world. Can you say amen? And he never stops calling. Never stops calling. He's like that suitor. He's like the preacher that's standing before you 12 years ago, 13, 14 years ago. As a 17-year-old man, young man, I went knocking on a young lady's door, so to speak, and I said, would you date me? And she said, never. But there was a persistence in my spirit. And there was a call on my life. And Jesus keeps knocking. On the door of your heart this morning, he's knocking. He started knocking at 10 o'clock when you got here for prayer. He was knocking before that when he woke you up with put breath in your body and said, get to my house this morning. He was knocking. He was reminding you of the gift that he gave you. He's reminding you that when I gave you those gifts, I also put a call upon your life. I've got a greater purpose. You're not just darking a door. You're not just a number in a congregation somewhere. I filled you with my spirit. There's no limit. There's no boundary. There's no telling what God will do with somebody in this place today if we'll ever recognize that with the gift of his spirit, there also is an incredible call that is waiting for us to fulfill. And the rest is history. Eventually, my wife relented, and I won. It took me a couple years, but I had to keep at it. But I won. And we just celebrated 10 years of married life together Friday night. You can't keep a good man down. Amen. You can be seated. But the gift and the call are without repentance. God doesn't ever take that gift away from you. God doesn't leave. He doesn't abandon his people. Now, I believe there are things we could do to evict his presence from our lives. We know that no man can serve two masters. Senior pastor talked about that this morning. And I believe there are things we can do that, that serve a notice of eviction that let God know he's no longer welcome in our lives. And God forbid that we ever get to such a place, but that we would always make our hearts a habitation that welcomes his presence. But God doesn't take his gift away. We read that the gift and the call are without repentance. I know talented people today, Pastor Phil, that have an incredible anointing upon their life, very evident that the hand of God was on them. And, and sometimes the blessing can become a curse, and because the blessing and favor of God is upon your life, and because the gift and the call are without repentance, in other words, God never revokes that, there can become a spear of deception that, well, that I'm getting away with this, and, and I'm doing things that are in rebellion to the man of God and to the word of God, and I'm doing things that I know are contrary to the standard of the church, and I'm living a lifestyle that I know is not pleasing, but I still feel his anointing when I get up in the pulpit, or I still feel his anointing when I get up to sing. And so there's a delusion that's created because God's gift and his call are without repentance. It's possible to live in rebellion and still feel God's presence. Because the Bible said the gift that he gave you and the call that comes with it are without repentance. Just because you messed up, there's a good side of that too. And, and the hope I'm preaching this morning about amazing grace is that just because you and I and our humanity, well, there's going to be a propensity. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall flat our, on our face in the muck and, and have to get up and dust our knees off and, and wipe the blood off and, and pick up and carry on. But just because we mess up and just because we've been unfaithful to God and just because we fail time and time again, Bible said a righteous man fails but he gets up just because we're human we make mistakes and we fall short and there's sin God doesn't give up on us that's amazing grace and just like he doesn't take his Holy Spirit from us and just like he doesn't leave us alone to walk the journey of life by ourselves, with that gift of his presence and with with that gift he doesn't take that call away he doesn't look at you and say yeah you messed up so you don't have to be a soul winner 
He never looks at us and says, well, you messed up, so you're no longer qualified to teach a Bible study. No. Because with the gift comes a call, and the two are inseparable, and neither are with repentance. And the emptiness that I find that people in this predicament feel is not, and I have to clarify, and I've sat them across my desk before and, and had to tell them, look, what you're feeling right now is not a rejection of God's Spirit. God's not rejecting you. God's not turning His love away from you. God is not is not repenting or he's not recalling the things that he promised you but what they feel is an emptiness inside that that is a falling out of grace that's not beyond god's reach but it's the unfulfilled feeling that comes from the reality that while holding on to the gift of god's grace they're running from the responsibility that comes with the call god help us today not to be not to be shy not to shy away or run away turn from the call and the, and the purpose and the plan that God has and that, that he has laid out on the table. If you could see the drawing board of what God has for your future, young man, and, and the destiny and the purpose that God has for your family and for your finance and for kids and grandkids that are unborn, if you'll be faithful and if you'll, you'll harbor his spirit and, and if you'll hold on to his hand and if you won't let anything wrestle away the spirit that he gave you, there is a purpose and a plan. God doesn't extend amazing grace and just and give us grace to use us. For by grace we're saved, we know this. But, but God doesn't just extend amazing grace and call us just to save us either. The only way we truly gain peace in our walk with God is when we learn to reconcile, when we learn to reconcile the gift of God that he's given us with his call for us. Trying to preach this morning about amazing grace. Amazing grace is not just God's unmerited favor. God is not willing that any should perish, yet it's possible to receive grace. And, and how many, Brother Feld, if, if, if everyone that ever prayed through and received grace in these altars uh, were here today after decades of ministry, that the new building wouldn't be big enough to hold everybody. Why? It's proof that you can be a recipient of the grace of God and still fall from grace. Not because he's repented, not because the gift and the call were revoked, possible to receive grace and still be lost the problem is we receive grace but we never respond to the call that comes with it you can't separate the gift of amazing grace from the amazing call amazing grace is using what god gave to save us for his glory but grace i've noticed in the lives of believers grace ceases to be amazing when after having receive such precious promises as Peter wrote. We ignore the call of God and instead of returning to the, instead of doing the will of God, we return to the corruption that is in the world, the Bible said, through lust. Grace loses its, its appeal. Grace becomes commonplace. Grace becomes convenient. Grace becomes something we do. Grace becomes habitual. Grace becomes something we associate with church when we can come into his holy presence and flaunt our carnal appetites and our disinterest or our, our rebellion even against the word of God. We cannot afford to ignore these symptoms. That's why you've got to be thankful every waking day for a man of God who will stand flat-footed, square-shouldered behind the sacred desk and preach what thus saith the word of the Lord and not allow a service to go by where we don't engage in his presence and not allow a chorus to go by where we don't somewhere capture the opportunity to transcend the natural, the finite of this earth that we walk on and enter 
into his presence where boldly we can come before the throne of grace. I'm preaching this morning about amazing grace and it's still a sweet sound to my ear today. I'm preaching about amazing grace that will still lift you. A redemptive lift. It doesn't matter how low life has dropped you. It doesn't matter how hard sin has dropped you. There is still amazing grace available this morning that will pick you up and turn you around and put your feet on solid ground. If you're thankful for amazing grace that is still being preached today when people all around us are conceding to a convenient gospel, there is still an uncompromising word going forth. There's still amazing grace that hasn't been perverted. There's still amazing grace that hasn't been adulterated. There's still amazing grace that in its pure form is reaching people to save people. And amazing grace is still going forth today to save you and to call you to a greater purpose. Oh, would you worship Jesus with me one more time? I love you, Jesus. 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 And I'm hurrying. I'm hurrying for the sake of time. We'll skip through. But let me just say this, that God has given you the amazing gift of grace. Keep standing, if you will, all across this house. God has given you, if you've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, God has given you the amazing gift of grace. But can I tell the church this morning, on a Sunday morning, can I tell a beautiful congregation here that is gathered into His presence that God did not give you the gift of His Spirit just to save you. But there's a lost world. And I'm not speaking about foreign countries and two-thirds of the world where most of us, you and I, will never go. But I'm talking about across the street. Uh, Elder Phil took us through an area of town that he affectionately referred to as his bell glade. I like that. And every one of us, wherever God has planted, there, there should be an ownership rise up and a recognition that, hey, there's a responsibility that out of everybody on this block and everybody in this neighborhood and everybody in this apartment complex, of all these people, God chose to save me and God chose to fill me with the spirit of His grace. There is an incredible responsibility that comes that God loves you, but let me remind somebody that He's no respecter of persons. He didn't choose me because I was better than the couple next door. He didn't save my family because our pedigree history or anything made us any better. There's a responsibility that comes and when I recognize He saved me to be a conduit to reach the lost person next door. There's an incredible call that comes with the gift of a Amazing grace. And I'm afraid that we take amazing grace for granted. And when apostolic people take amazing grace for granted, amazing grace, amazing grace ceases to be the saving arm of Jesus in a community and only lives on as an old chorus we sing during worship. But I believe there's people here today. You recognize God didn't save me by accident. As the musicians play and as we I invite you to come down to this altar. You recognize today, faithful saints of God, that maybe I, I, maybe you find yourself just existing. Maybe you find yourself growing, but, but really not making a difference. Maybe you find yourself enjoying God's presence and coming, and you're faithful, and there's not a service that goes by that you're not present, and there's not an outreach or church ministry that you're not involved in. But the truth be told, the work of amazing grace that began in your life when you received for the first time the baptism of the Holy Ghost has ceased to go beyond your little world and has ceased to bleed out into your community, has ceased to make a difference in those that you have a relationship with. I came to remind faithful people of God today that when God gave you the gift of His presence, that with that gift 
And with the Spirit, there comes an inseparable call. I'm preaching to myself this morning. I don't know, Elder, with six billion people in the world, I don't know that we can be saved just coming to church anymore. We get so busy, and, and, and I know what it's like. I was born and raised in home missions work digging it out, starting with no help, with no families, and, and seeing God raise up a work. And then I know what it's like to be insulated, if I could say that way, in leadership the past 14 years at a rather large church. You know, we say small church or large church, and we allow ourselves to be defined by a number of people or by other people's perception of us. But when we compare, it doesn't matter how small or how great we grow in number, when you compare who we are compared to a lost and dying world, you recognize, my God, what a responsibility. But I've even come under conviction myself and I was transparent with Pastor Urshan and Pastor Fell this week in saying that as I was completing a master's degree and graduated a couple of weeks ago trying to become the best man of God trying to be become the best preacher and the best teacher and leader of God's people that I can be I found myself so consumed with textbooks two and three textbooks a week and and leadership training and we can become so insulated my point is even involved in the work of the ministry we can become so insulated from a world that's lost and dying. The Holy Ghost woke me up in my spirit and reminded me. He said, your degree might look pretty on the wall, but if you fail to translate that into reaching a lost, lost world, then it's all in vain. I came to tell you today that you're a missionary, sir. God may not call you ever outside Belgley, but your 8 to 5 job is a harvest field. And what greater opportunity do we have to share the gift Father takes pleasure to give good things to his children. And there, there's a dynamic there. I believe the greatest harvest field is our families. Who trusts you more than your family? It's their blood's thicker than water. And what, what a greater harvest we have than to share the gift that our Father's given to us with those we love. Sometimes we, we, we duck out of service. And because we're the minority in our community, we're the only one that's blood-bought, we're the only one that's been filled with the Spirit, we kind of duck in the house. We, we camouflage our Christianity throughout the week. And we never allow the call that God placed on our life when he gave us the gift of his spirit to manifest. I want to make an altar appeal here in closing today. First and foremost, the most important business in God's house. If you're here today and you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that is the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, I want to invite you to come today. The Bible said the gift of the Holy Ghost is a promise. It's the gift of grace today. There's, and I didn't go into this, but the gift, charis, also means giftedness. When you receive the Holy Ghost, there's new gifting. I know people, their entire lives change when the Holy Ghost filled them. Their personalities change. Their desires, their appetites change. Their whole world was changed when the gifting of God, when the Holy Spirit filled their life. I'd like to invite you to come today. If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there's no reason why you shouldn't leave today with this free gift. God standing here using my voice in the
I want to make a second appeal to the saints of God, to the family of God. You've already received that precious gift. I wonder if you wouldn't recognize now a call of God on your life. And would you come help pray with somebody this morning? Somebody down here in the front that needs the Holy Ghost. We've got a good brother here that was kind enough to step out. I believe he can leave today with a baptism of the Holy Ghost, with the gift of grace that you and I enjoy today. Would you come and pray with a brother or a sister before we leave today that God would work, that the call of God would be awakened in some of our lives, that the call of God would awake us from spiritual slumber this morning and open our eyes to see a great harvest beyond the doors. Beyond the open door, there's a new and fresh anointing for somebody. Beyond the open door, there's a harvest field. Beyond the open door, I come to tell you, it's more than just a natural soil. That's the fortune of Bell Glade. But I believe that even as we preach this morning, and as your pastor has labored for decades, that God's been preparing the soil of the hearts and minds of people in this city. And they may not be here this morning, but you can't speak a word, but that word creates a work somewhere in the atmosphere. And while they're not here this morning, I believe there's families. I believe there's marriages. I believe there's young people. I believe there's elderly people. And the Spirit is doing a work all across Bell Glade this morning. If my people which are called by my name, if my people which are called by my name, He's given us His name in baptism, but He's calling us today. He's calling us today. Lord, touch me. Hey, hey, hey.